aren't you thankful for that? Hallelujah, Jesus. You are worthy, Lord. We magnify you, Jesus. We exalt you in this place, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful that when you are weak, then you can be strong in him? That no matter what situation you find yourself in, you can have you can hold on to Jesus Christ and he can bring you through it. You imagine not living for God and not having that that access. People that don't follow the word of God and live by it and abide by it. They don't have that relationship, that shoulder that they can lean upon of Jesus and call out to him. And really, you're kind of on your own if you don't have Jesus. And I know we've, uh, we've lived that way before, but I'm thankful to be in the, the house of, of the living God. I'm thankful to be a part of the church where we can call upon the name of Jesus, where we can lift him up and we know that he will be there with us. Amen. And see us through whatever trial, tribulation whatever fire that we find ourselves in, we have that assurance in him. It kind of anchors our soul, doesn't it? And no matter what goes on, no matter how bad, it, how boisterous the water and waves may be out there, we have an anchor that holds us and keeps us and gives us that inner peace. Amen. And that is through the Spirit of God. Amen. It's so good to see everyone here tonight to worship the Lord together. Amen. We want to, uh, we want to dismiss the, the kids' church tonight they haven't already taken off, amen, and um, let's see, continue to remember the uh, the fasting and uh, the sacrifice that we, we are preparing ourselves for the uh, late night prayer meeting here in uh, almost two weeks now, a little over th three Fridays, amen, and uh, we want to be ready for that, amen, and if you have any issues or complaints, uh, you can take them out with Brother Andy. He's, he'll be le he's leading that charge, amen, this month, and it's his, uh, his direction that we're following, and so uh, pass me up and go right to him. Amen. So as we're saying, we go to the word of the Lord tonight. Our text for this series, we've been talking about the kingdom in Matthew 6, 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Turn to a few people and greet them in the name of the Lord as we're seated today. Amen. We've been following throughout the Bible the kingdom of heaven from its first appearance in the Garden of Eden when the, uh, the wolf and the lamb were able to lie down together. And how the kingdom of heaven left the earth and went back into heaven because something changed in the earth. And sin and its fallen nature was allowed to take over because of Adam's disobedience. The one who was supposed to rule in God's stead, uh, rule the kingdom on the earth. And his disobedience opened the door for sin. And since the, the wolf and the lamb haven't been able to meet in peace... Uh, only the wolf looks forward to that meeting currently, but we are promised the day where uh, when the kingdom of heaven is ushered back into the earth once again, that we are told that the wolf and the lamb will lie down together as they probably originally did back in 
uh, Eden. And the lion will eat grass like a cow, as it says. And what a sight that will be behold. He'll have to take some big chunks with those teeth, but uh, it'll be interesting to see. And that is just a glimpse of the transforming power that the kingdom of heaven has and will have over the earth. If it can do that to the animals and creation, what do you think it can do to mankind? And so we, uh, as the world and as creation groans until that day, uh, the day that Israel's sight is restored and their blindness is removed, uh, we don't have to wait to experience that transforming power of the kingdom of heaven. Because God took the Jews' rejection of him and he used it to bless this world and bring salvation to all mankind through his death and sacrifice. And now we have, we can experience that transformational power that exists in the kingdom of heaven and God put that power into the church into the believers of the gospel, and that is activated when we repent of our sins and we're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, that activates the power of the Spirit, amen, that is in the kingdom of heaven, that rules the kingdom of heaven, but now it is ruling in our hearts because we've uh, obeyed the gospel. That makes us uh, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and as a citizen of that kingdom, we have access to the power that is from another world and, and have that power and let that power exercise and flow through us while we are here as ambassadors for Christ doing His will in this world. And we've been following God's plan to restore the kingdom through the nation of Israel. We've watched as the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Uh, when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago, but Israel would not repent. Uh, and they missed out on what was right in front of them. Their, their king was right there, and they missed out on him. And a good summary, if you will, of what happened, we can find in Luke, the 19th chapter. It says, and when he was come near, when Jesus was come near, he beheld the city, the Jerusalem, he beheld Jerusalem and he wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou at this, in this thy day, if you had known, Israel, this day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and uh, thee on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground. And thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. They, Jesus wept over Jerusalem because Jerusalem did not know, did not see what was right there in front of them. They did not see him for who he really was. The Messiah, their prince, visited them and wanted to become their king, but they could not see past their own preconceived ideas, which became strongholds for them. And they, they, they held on to their beliefs instead of accepting Jesus uh, as their Messiah and uh, their King. And that is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that has exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And had, had Israel cast down their imaginations of what their king should be in their minds, had they cast down every man-made law and tradition that ultimately caused them to stumble and fall, had they brought every thought to the obedience of Christ, then they would have crowned Jesus and not crucified him. But they had their own thing going on in their minds, and they wouldn't repent as Jesus commanded and called for, as John called for, as the apostles' uh, disciples called for, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There was a lot of stuff going on in their minds that was holding them back, and they could not see properly because of, of their own vain imaginations. And that goes to show us that most of the time, our problems can be internal. Most of the time, our problems are internal. The, 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 the devil did not make Israel pass all those laws that they passed uh, to make it illegal to heal on the Sabbath. That was all in their minds, that you can't do anything and you can't even heal somebody on the Sabbath. That's how locked up their mind was. And Jesus heals somebody on the Sabbath day and the, the Pharisees, then they, they all snap and start going crazy because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's how far out of bounds that they were uh, and caught up in their own mindsets and imaginations. And, 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 and the devil, I don't think, made them uh, pass those kind of uh, uh, laws that were, were not in the laws given on Mount Sinai. They, they took it, uh, the law of Moses, and they really stretched it as far out and they, they added extra barriers in, uh, things that kind of just became a stumbling block for them because they just got so entrenched in their, in their thoughts and imaginations. And so uh, when Jesus showed up and healed the man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees lost it because they were, they were so far gone. That's why Jesus was telling them to repent, to change your ways, change your, your thinking, uh, and then things can uh, be restored again in this world. And so uh, we can be our own worst enemy. At times, and most of the times, probably we like to we like to give the devil a lot of blame when it's really our own flesh and our own minds and our own imaginations, and he gets a lot of credit for things that he doesn't do. And I'm sure he he does he 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 appreciates that uh, no one getting credit for stuff that he did not do. But if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of the stuff is our own problems and our own our own pride and our own misunderstandings and our own imaginations and things that we. We tend to hold higher than the Word of God, and that's where we get in trouble. And so uh, if our thoughts and our imaginations are not held accountable by the Word of God, then we can really just go off the deep end like Israel did. Uh, we, we can believe something and be completely wrong just because just the, Israel did that. They believed something so heartily, wholeheartedly that they, they got it wrong big time. And so uh, we have to uh, cast down imaginations and pull down these strongholds in our minds and our lives that can enable us to be used by, uh, by God to do other and greater things. Because if we can't figure ourselves out, how can we uh, help others out? And so last week we, we learned that through Israel's failure, 
we have been given the opportunity uh, to lift up the name of Jesus, to call on his name and to separate ourselves from this world. And because we are part of the kingdom of heaven, and, and, and while Israel remains partially blind until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, as we read last week, we are told that events will happen before Israel's blindness is removed. Uh, and the next major event that I believe uh, that is going to happen to the church in this world is, is the rapture of the church. I know um, before that we had a, a great outpouring uh, of the Holy Ghost and, and people being saved and all that. But, but the, the next major event on the prophecy timeline, if you will, in the end of the age timeline is going to be the rapture of the church. Because once the church is taken out of the world, then Daniel's 70th week can begin and start. Which Daniel's 70th week, as we are told, its sole purpose, its only purpose, is for the nation of Israel to remove the scales from their eyes, to remove that blindness, so that they can come to see the truth and see who Jesus really is. And then they will call on him, and he will come to be with them. And so, if the rapture of the church is the next domino that must fall, we'll, uh, it'll, it'll benefit us to look into it. As I know that we believe that it is imminent, uh, if we would live more like we, we confessed, and uh, we would be better off. Remember in Matthew chapter 24, as Jesus was talking to the Pharisee, or to the disciples, that he just came out of the temple uh, with that uh, meeting with uh, Israel's leaders, and he rebuked them all in Matthew 23. And he comes out in, in Matthew 24, and he, he starts telling them that, uh, uh, you know, this temple's not going to be, one stone will not be left upon another. The Olivet Discourse is telling about all the things that are going to happen concerning Israel and Jerusalem and the end of the age. And Paul lays out these timeline of events that will happen before uh, Israel uh, is awakened, which... Uh, these things that Paul lines out will happen that leads to Daniel's 70th week being started and the events in Matthew 24 taking place. Uh, this is found in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and he's writing to them, the church at Thessalonica, because the church there, they were troubled. They were, they were bothered because they were facing persecution. Things weren't going well for the church there and uh, facing persecution all around. And it didn't help that a letters or a letter or letters was going around saying that the rapture had already taken place and that they were now in the great tribulation. This is why the persecution that they were facing uh, is because God already called up the saints and they, I guess, they were left behind and they were facing the great tribulation that Daniel's 70th week talks about. And so Paul is writing the church at Thessalonica to, to calm them down and to uh, set some things straight. We see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto him, uh, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us. He addresses the letter that is going around that is scaring everybody, saying, uh, and it, supposedly it was forged, that it was, it was from Paul and from the, the apostles. 
nor by a letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, that the day of the Lord has already come. This is why you're facing this, this persecution is because uh, you guys missed it. Uh, the judgment of the Lord as, as seen in the great tribulation with the seals, trumpets, and bowls uh, is re can refer to as the day of the Lord. Um, so Paul reminds them of the timeline of, of, of events that first must take place uh, before that day happens. He says in verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, what, is, what day, the day of the Lord, uh, shall not come except there be there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition and so the man of sin the son of perdition obviously is the antichrist and paul says even before the antichrist appears an event must happen first he says except there come a a falling away first and then the man of sin is revealed. And the, the, the word falling away uh, in the Greek is apostasia, which is derived from the Greek word uh, aphistemi, which means a separation or a departure. And it can be a departure from doctrine. It can be a, a physical departure as well. And, but the word there emphasizes the separation of things. There's a separating happening, a, a, a departure is happening. And so here in the text it is translated as falling away, which would lead us to think about uh, a, a departing from doctrine or a backsliding if, in our terminology. Uh, and so if that is the, the, the right way, interpretation, then before the Antichrist is revealed, then there must be first a, a massive falling away or a, or a massive backsliding from truth. And while people fall from truth all the time and have since, then, since the beginning of the church, uh, because Paul writes letters even to, to Timothy and others about uh, people falling away, brethren falling away from the truth. And sadly it happens and it still happens but this falling away must be something different on the, on the grander scale of things and noticeable, I would think, if it first must happen uh, in order for the Antichrist to appear. Which, uh, to me, it, it kind of makes, to me, it makes more sense if it was more of a physical departure that must take place than a, a, a backsliding, which, back, again, backsliding happens all the time. Uh, sadly, uh, but if it's talking about a departure or a separation, to me it would make more sense if it was a, a physical departure, uh, which would coincide with the rapture uh, of the church being taken out of here and then the Antichrist comes to be. We see in verse 4, uh, talking about the man of sin, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So here he's reminding them, hey, when I was there talking to you guys, I told you all these things. Um, and, and now ye know, verse 6, now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time, that he, the, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. So he says that you guys know 
what is holding the Antichrist back. Because I told you when I was there. Uh, we don't have privy to that exact conversation, but Paul reminds the Thessalonians that you guys know what is holding him back, the Antichrist, that he might be revealed. And uh, he, I think he addressed it as the falling away, the separation or departure. Going on verse 7, uh, the, the, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so something has to be taken out of the way that is keeping the Antichrist from revealing himself, from appearing on the scene. And uh, I, I believe he, the Antichrist is alive right now. He just can't become known as the Antichrist. It's not like he's going to uh, go uh, hold a news conference and say, hey, I'm the Antichrist, I'm finally here. Uh, but I believe, I believe that the devil, he doesn't know all, all, all things like our God knows. He doesn't know when the rapture is going to happen. He doesn't know these things on God's timeline. And so I believe that the, that the devil has had an antichrist ready at all times. No matter what day it is, no matter what year, no matter what century it is, I believe that Satan has had a man ready to go in case things happen. That he get okay. You're now. It's your turn. Um, people obviously liken uh, Hitler to the Antichrist. I mean, he did a he did a pretty good job uh, uh, of uh, doing that. And um, but I, I believe that there the Antichrist, the spirit has been our Antichrist spirit has been around since the, the Bible days. Uh, and so all it needs is is the green light to go. And but uh, Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that there's something that's holding him back. There's something that has to be taken out of the way in order for the Antichrist to reveal. Uh, verse 8, and then after the thing is taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And so my, th my thoughts are is that uh, if, if, uh, if that is the, the falling away is a, is a that event that must first happen. And if that is interpreted as a, a, a big backsliding that must happen, then it really doesn't fit with the rest of what Paul is saying in verses 6, 7, and 8. Um, but if the falling away is meant as a physical departure, as opposed to a doctrinal departure, uh, like the church being physically raptured out of here, uh, to me that kind of seems like it flows with, with the rest of what Paul is talking about but uh, something, uh, we know something has to be taken out of the way first in order for the Antichrist to appear. And so it makes sense to me that the church has to be taken out of here. Um, and so the point of Paul's teaching is you got to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Whenever it is, whatever day it happens, whatever day it comes, we have to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of his church. And I don't want to wait around to find out what the falling away really is. People, we, obviously, there's all kinds of interpretations, but I don't want to be uh, waiting around to figure out what that is because that has to happen first, and then the Antichrist is revealed. And so uh, I, I, I think it's a, a personal, uh, a physical departure um, interpreted that way, but obviously it can be interpreted uh, different ways as well. 
And so the Antichrist cannot be revealed to this world until the restrainer is removed and taken away. And since, the, since Jesus gave his church the power and authority to bind and to loose, wouldn't it make sense that the thing that has to be taken out of the way, the thing that is holding back the Antichrist from taking over the world would be the church? And when God raptures the church from this world, then there wouldn't be anything left to restrain the Antichrist from taking over the world. And because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, we say that almost every week, and we believe and we know that to be true. Uh, but if, if we're gone, then what is left to hold back the Antichrist? And so we are given, uh, obviously this supports the, the pre-tribulation rapture, and there are people that believe uh, in a mid-trib rapture and a post-trib rapture. I, I like the pre-trib myself. Uh, it sounds a whole lot better to me, and uh, I'm going to subscribe to that uh, belief. And so, but the most important thing about the rapture is you got to be ready. Whenever it is, I mean, he can he can come to he can come tonight. You got to be ready. You're ready. You're either ready or you're not. Uh, and so uh, the rapture of the church is just is is just more more than just letting us escape the wrath to come. But the rapture of the church, believe it or not, is tied directly to a Jewish marriage. The Olivet Discord in Matthew 24, as we had mentioned, is talking about the nation of Israel. But a few days later, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and he tells them uh, of events and things that are, uh, that are going to happen and that it pertains to the church and not Israel. Uh, and that is the rapture of the church and the taking away of, uh, of his bride out of the earth because bad times are coming and Jesus doesn't want his bride to be in the middle of it, and so... Uh, take the bride out of the church and, and let the earth get what it deserves. Uh, and so uh, this leads us to the upper room discourse in John chapter 14. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, we, we, this is a familiar passage to us, and it is uh, recited at funerals, and uh, we, we know it uh, very well. But what we don't know, as we are Gentiles, what we don't know is that that passage right there is Jewish marriage talk. It's marriage talk. Uh, the apostles, obviously being Jews, they understood what he was talking about. Uh, and since the church is also known as the bride of Christ, then we are, are we not, in a marriage covenant with Jesus. The only way you're called a bride is if you're engaged to be married. Uh, and so many of Jesus' parables were tied to customs of a Jewish marriage and, and, and gathering together uh, for the marriage feast. And we are Gentiles, we really don't have any idea or understanding about these, these marriage references. Uh, but those that heard Jesus knew what he was talking about because they, that was their custom back then. And so we'll, we're going to briefly go through uh, the Jewish marriage process from what I've understood it as. 
Uh, and I don't know if they, they, the Jews practice this uh, to a T nowadays, uh, but this is according to, you know, mar- uh, biblical customs and marriage customs, at least back in those days from what we, uh, uh, we can tell. And so the first part is the, the betrothal, the engagement as we call it. And uh, the bridegroom would look for that one that caught his eye. And uh, since he found a girl, what he would do is he would go to her father and he would negotiate a price for her. Now this is obviously, again, this is not our custom. Uh, this is not American. Uh, the ACLU would have a fit about this if they read about this. Uh, and, and so um, he would negotiate a price for her. Jewish brides had to be purchased from their father. They were bought, and a payment was given to her father. The, the bride price uh, was given to him. Uh, and so a first uh, a price must be paid, an agreed-upon price to, in order to even uh, continue on in this engagement or marriage uh, that would take place. And so if we are the bride of Christ, what would be our price or the price that Jesus paid? Acts 20, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. 1 Corinthians 6, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God. And so Jesus paid for his bride. He paid for his bride, the church, with his very own life, with his very own blood. That's what it cost him to have uh, the bride of Christ. And, and, and you don't think that he doesn't uh, pay close attention to everything that happens in the church? You don't think he's concerned too much about how the ch- members act with one another and what happens to the church? If he died for the church and he shed his blood for you and me, you better believe that he pays attention to everything that goes on in the church and happens to the church. All you got to do is read 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and find out who, what, what, what he does to those who don't discern the Lord's body. Once the bridegroom pays the price that they have entered into, they have now entered into a marriage covenant, and they are basically considered married. Uh, but the procession and the uh, uh, the event hasn't happened yet. But they're engaged, and as a symbol of the covenant relationship that has been established by this uh, man and woman, uh, the groom and the bride uh, supposedly they they would drink from the same cup. You know, we have our marriage ceremonies, people light candles together, they pour sand in together, all these things that are resembling two coming to one and they're sharing this thing. Well, the Jews apparently, and their, their custom, marriage custom is that the, the bride and the groom, they would drink from the same cup. And we see this happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And when he'd given thanks, he break it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken from you. This do in remembrance of me. And after this manner, he also took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as, ye oft, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And we, we call this communion. And But what it really signifies is to be a reminder to us about our marriage covenant and contract with Jesus. 
as, it, as we are discerning his body and his blood as we partake in that. Because we are spoken for. We are spoken for. We are bought with a price. Uh, we are, we are Jesus' bride. And so uh, with this communion that we take, we are to remind ourselves that we are spoken for. That we, we have the, the bridegroom. We are the bride and we have a bridegroom. And, and we are to keep ourselves pure and set apart for uh, the bridegroom as he comes. And so from that moment on, the bride was declared to be consecrated or sanctified or, or set apart exclusively for her bridegroom. And so she is spoken for, and it is now her duty and the church's duty to remain separated, to remain set apart, and to remain consecrated unto her would-be husband. That she, the, the, the engaged bride doesn't go and, and engage in the world again because she's called out. She is spoken for. She has uh, her man that is going to be coming for her. And so uh, we as the bride of Christ waiting for him to return, we too are called to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. As is said in 2 Corinthians six seventeen. Uh, and so it is more than just keeping ourselves from filthiness and sin. It is keeping our heart separated from this world. It is keeping our eyes separated unto Jesus Christ and keeping our, ourselves pure for Jesus because we are spoken for and he is coming for us. And so after this marriage covenant is, uh, was established, uh, the groom... Uh, leaves his bride at her home, uh, and he returns to his father's house. And at his father's house, according to their custom, the groom starts building, and he starts preparing a place in his father's house where his bride and groom, or, uh, his, the bride and groom would be able to live temporarily. So they're going to live there permanently because they would eventually, you know, go out on their own, but uh, during this engagement process and uh, uh, the, the, the new marriage process, they would stay at uh, the groom's father's house. He doesn't go move in with her until they get married. That's, that's not how they do things, and that's how we should do things either. Just because this world is okay with that doesn't mean it's okay for the church. And, and so um, uh, after... Uh, the, the groom goes away and starts building a place. He's uh, preparing for his bride to come. Uh, when the time comes, he doesn't come live with her. He comes and gets her, and she goes to live in, uh, with him in his father's house. Uh, and, and so uh, this takes us back to John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. In my father's house are many mansions. We're not so I would have told you. I would go to prepare a place for you. Again, that's talking about the marriage. Uh, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. And so question is, where is the Father's house? Father's house is in heaven. And so if, if uh, Jesus is going to come back and, 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 and get them and take them to heaven, uh, how can he do that for an entire nation of Israel? It, will, it wouldn't make sense for the entire nation just to bloop, go up into heaven, and then everyone in the, the earth is like, where did the whole nation of Israel go? 
And this, this, this applies to the church because the church is the bride. And so the, the, the bride, the church gets the ones that gets raptured out of here and Israel is still here on the earth uh, going through uh, establishing its ways here on the earth. And so during this period of separation where the groom is off at his father's house building a room on, uh, what was the bride to do? The bride was to keep herself pure and set apart, staying pure and holy, separate from this world, keeping her heart fixed on her groom. And so this time of separation is also a time of testing of the bride. Will she remain faithful when he comes back to get her? Will she remain faithful to him? Or will she uh, get caught up in the things of this world and, 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 and go off and, and, and maybe get engaged with somebody else or whatever. She, she could not remain faithful to her groom. Uh, and so it is a testing time for the bride. Will, he, will, will her love for him stay hot and, and pure and, and ready at any moment? Or will she become complacent and lukewarm and start going back and mingling out with her single friends? Even though she is already spoken for, this is a time, a testing period of her for her. And so this is why God is a jealous God. We are, we are told to love him with all of our, our whole heart, our whole mind, body, and soul. And so this is why God got so upset with Israel because they were chosen. They were set apart from all the other nations of the world. But they went, what happened is they went and they chased after other gods. They committed adultery. In God's eyes, they committed adultery. That's why he like the verbiage in the Old Testament is about divorce in Israel because they committed adultery by going and, and worshiping other gods. When he told them, hey, there is no other God but me, and you are called out, you are separate, set, set apart just for me, and they committed uh, spiritual adultery, if you will, uh, with God. And so that's why he got so upset and uh, Israel was unfaithful. To God. Uh, and so this testing period when, when the groom is away preparing the place for his bride is a testing period for uh, the church. And when the groom was finished with his work building on his addition, at the end of the time of separation, the, the bridegroom came, usually it came at night, uh, to take his bride to come live with him. And the groom, the best man, and other uh, members of the, the bridal party, they all left the father's house and they conducted a, a torchlight procession all the way to the bride's home. And although the bride was expecting her groom to come for her, she did not know exactly when he would show up. She had to have her bags packed at all times uh, because he could have... Uh, hired some help, and he could have finished uh, the addition in his father's house really quick and came back, or it could have took his time and build something really big. And so uh, all this time of separation, she had to be ready at a moment's notice because when the bride, when the groom came, boom, it was they sounded a trumpet, and that was her sign to go. Let's, I'm out of here. See you later, Mom and Dad. Uh, my groom is here, and I'm out of here. Uh, and, and so uh, since the bride didn't know, she had to be ready. At all times. And when the, when the, groom, the bridegroom was showing up, his arrival was preceded by a shout. They would shout, the bridegroom is here, 
and uh, that was signal for the bride to leave. And it was, the shout announced her imminent departure to be gathered with her uh, bridegroom. And so once that shout was heard, she had better be ready to go and her bags packed, waiting at the door. And then the bride was gone and went to be with her groom and start a new life. And so uh, we also see this uh, in relation to the church in First Thessalonians. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the, that's the signal for the bride to come up and say, hey, it's time to be with me. Come back with me to my father's house uh, for the time of, of, uh, and the preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have the, the festivities and the, the party, uh, the marriage party. Uh, and so you got to be ready with the shout of the, a moment's notice, as Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye. That's how quick you and I have to be ready for the return of our Lord and Savior because we don't know, the bride doesn't know, but we know that he is coming at some point. And so it, it behooves us to be ready uh, at a moment's notice so that we can be caught up to meet him whenever he comes. Musicians, as you would you come? And, and we know that that... That trumpet, that sound, that declaration is so much sooner than it was yesterday. As each day approaches, it just means one more day closer to the return of Jesus and the, the trump and the shout of the archangel. And so after the groom receives his bride, together with her bridesmaids, the wedding party returns uh, from... Uh, uh, from the bride's home and to the father's house because that's where they go to live. Uh, and so the wedding guests are there assembled at the father's house where the ceremony will take place. And shortly after the arrival, the bride and the groom were escorted by other members of the wedding party to the bridal chamber. Uh, and prior to entering the chamber, the bride remains veiled that no one can see her face. Even though they can maybe see her come into the, the house or the room or whatever, her, bri her face is still, is still veiled. They can't see her face. Uh, and so while the groomsmen and the bridesmen wait outside, the bride and groom enter the bridal chamber alone, and they consummate the marriage. They become officially husband and wife. And after the marriage is consummated, the groom uh, came out of the bridal chamber and announced that they were officially man and wife to the members that were waiting outside of uh, in the party area, I guess. Um, and then as the groom went back to his bride in the chamber, the members of the wedding party returned to the wedding guests, and they announced that, hey, they are husband and wife. And upon receiving the good news, the wedding guests remain in the groom's father's house for the next seven days, and they are celebrating the, uh, the wedding feast. It's, it's a, a, it's a week long. They're celebrating this, this marriage. Uh, and, and so during the seven days of the wedding feast, the bride and groom remain in their uh, bridal chamber, and they stay there for seven days or one week. Uh, now, how does that tie back in to what else is happening uh, in 
in the world. Well, Dan, there's after the church is raptured out of here, we are told in Daniel that there's one week remaining, seven years. And what, uh, what a coincidence that would be if all this marriage talk and the bride and groom are gone from this earth into the Father's house for one week or biblically it would be seven years that a lot of stuff is happening down here on the earth while the bride is in heaven. And so Daniel's 70th week, one week still left for Israel to fulfill here in this earth. And so after the seven days or one week, the groom comes out, brings his bride with him. Uh, but this time, her veil is removed so that everybody could see uh, her face and see her bride. And the groom shows off his bride for all the world to see. And Colossians 3 and 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so we, when, when Jesus appears to this earth and he comes back at the end of the, the, the Daniel 70th week, we also appear with him uh, in glory. Why? Because we, are, we, are, we would be his bride and he's showing his bride off to, to the world. Revelation 19 and 1, After these things... This is after the tribulation, everything is all played out, the end of Revelation. After these things, I heard a vo great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Uh, uh, the, the, the seals... Um, the trumpets and the and the bold judgments, all of these things have been taken have taken place. Uh, it, it all has uh, been played out on the earth. The earth has been judged, um, and uh, this is it. the The final week of Daniel's week, Daniel's seventieth week, is coming to a close here. And we see in verse six, as I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as of the voice of many waters, as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent, omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, ready to be seen and shown off to the world. And, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of, uh, of the saints. And so... Here at the end of the, the Daniel's 70th week, the wife of the Lamb has made herself ready, and now she is being uh, ready to present herself to the great multitude, meaning that one week has passed according to the Jewish marriage customs, and that seems to be about the same time that Daniel's 70th week is wrapping up. And according to the Jewish marriage, the bride arrived before that week began, but she was veiled, but nobody could see her. But after the week, now she is unveiled and shown off to the world. And so that is according to Jewish biblical custom. And we can see how all this just, just plays right into the teachings that Jesus taught about, uh, you know, the, uh, the five wise virgins and foolish virgins, talking about the bridegroom being ready, all of these things and marriage customs and feasts and, and uh, uh, as the, uh, the the parable talking about uh, the feast, and he went out and invited people and gave them coats to, hey, come, and nobody showed up, and he got mad. 
go invite, go get people from the highways and byways. That was a marriage feast. And uh, all, the, all this language in uh, John 14, the passage about uh, going to his father's house, is all ties in to the Jewish custom of marriage, which you and I, we don't really have any understand. It's just, just other words to us. When you understand what he was talking about, you can understand that, hey, the church has got to be raptured out of here. The bride of Christ has got to go because according to Jewish custom, uh, they got to be up there for a week uh, to, to fulfill uh, the marriage custom. And while that's happening, we know things that are happening down here on the earth. You stand with me today. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he doth judge and make war. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is the second coming of Christ to this world at the end of the seven years of tribulation. And you see that people are already with him in heaven, clothed in white raiment, even as the bride of Christ was described wearing. And so at this point, Jesus doesn't come to the earth to get his bride. That would be a, a post-tribulation rapture that people, uh, some people believe that at the end of all this, Jesus finally comes and gets his bride. No, he came and got his bride uh, a week earlier. Now he's coming back to, t to handle business at the Battle of Ar Armageddon. And he's coming back with his saints and he's coming back with his bride. Because once he steps down, boom, his kingdom is going to be ushered into this world. And as he is a king, there's going to be a queen. Uh, his bride is a queen. And so uh, he comes back the second time uh, to the nation of Israel. And so when this world sees Jesus at the end of the tribulation period, his bride is coming with him, all according to the Jewish marriage customs that Jesus talked about. And so it's on, it's on you and I, as the bride of Christ, that we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready because once, once that happens, uh, it's only a matter of time till the kingdom of heaven is actually comes back and is established on this earth when, when Jesus comes with his saints. And, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait to find out uh, what happens here during that seven years, that during Daniel's final 70th week. I want to make sure that I make the rapture, that I want to be there celebrating in heaven, going to going to the Father's house uh, and being there with our Lord and Savior. And so it's on us. We've got to be ready, folks. We've got to be ready to see him because it can happen at a moment's notice, and it's happening even sooner than we think. As this, The signs of the times, the things that are happening in such a fast pace, the changes that are happening in this world, I can't imagine God tearing much longer for his bride. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready to see him. Amen. Can we worship the Lord tonight? Can we thank him for his grace and his mercy? Hallelujah, Jesus. We wait for you, Lord. Lord, we want you to return, Jesus. Hallelujah. To come and take us to be with you. Hallelujah, Jesus.
but until that time, God, we're going to keep ourselves pure and holy, set apart for your purpose, for our calling, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus.
worship you. Hallelujah. Oh, let's worship him one more time. Let's magnify him. Let's exalt that holy name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord. We exalt you, Jesus. We lift you up, Lord. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We see you. We know who you are, Lord. You are the everlasting God, the almighty God. Hallelujah, Lord. You are coming for us soon and very soon, Lord, that we will be with you, Lord. Hallelujah. Until that day, Lord, we, we keep ourselves for you. Stay separate and sanctified for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Hallelujah. To be ready, Lord, for your coming, God. To be ready for your coming, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. All of these things have to happen before the kingdom of heaven comes to this earth. And if Daniel's 70th week kicks off by the, by the, the uh, revelation of the Antichrist, then this rapture of the church must precede that. So that is the next big event. And it's right around the corner, folks. It's right around the corner. Man, soon we'll be in heaven worshiping the Lord. Amen. And it'll all be over. And it'll all be worth it. Everything that we go through, every hardship, every trial, every pain that we've suffered, it's all going to be worth it over on the glory side. He'll wipe away every tear from our eye. No more pain, no more sorrow. It's all coming to an end, folks, and we got to make sure that we're ready for the bridegroom. Amen. Soon and very soon. Amen. That's why, that's why Paul says comfort one another with these. That's a comfort to us, knowing that Jesus is coming. Amen, because it will all be over. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name. Let's go forth and stay separated for the bridegroom who's coming.